with this book, Daniel, chapter 12 in the New Living Translation says, at that time, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation, he will stand up. He will, he will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people, Daniel, every one of your people, the Jewish people, whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal it up. Seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Famous verse we all know. Then I, Daniel, looked and saw two others standing on opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen who was now standing above the river, how long will it be until these shocking events are over? The man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, it will go on for a time, times, and half a time. When the shattering of the holy place has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. From the time the daily sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1,290 days. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Lord, bless and anoint your word today to our hearts and to our lives. Give us greater insight and understanding into your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. The title of my message today is Dispensational Premillennialism. Say it with me. Five times. Fast. <laughs> Hi, I'm Randy. I'm a recovering dispensational premillennialist. You know, if you can really say that without fumbling, people might think you know what you're talking about. Let me just tell you something today. Eschatology is the study of end times, and if you're an expert in eschatology, man, I feel sorry for you. Make as many charts as you want to. Make as many predictions as you want to, but we are all amateurs. We will all be making our eschatological adjustments as these end-time events unfold. Now, to get us started today, I want to show you some acronyms. I love acronyms, especially funny ones. How about these cars? Chevy can hear every valve yelling. C-H-E-V-Y. Dodge. Dead on day, guarantee expires. Dodge. Honda, hold on, not done accelerating. Porsche, I love this one. Proof of rich, spoiled children having everything. Sorry for those of you who drive a Porsche. Toyota, too often Yankees overpriced this automobile. How about these? I love these. Mad. Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, which sparked some other groups. Now there's bad, Bikers Against Dumb Drivers. And my favorite, damn, Drunks Against Mad Mothers. 
It wasn't a cuss word, y'all. D-A-M-M. How about this last one? Acronym. Alphabetical code for remembering odd names you make up. I said all that to tell you about this one. I really don't like it because it doesn't spell anything. It doesn't, it's, it's hard to remember, but there is an acronym out there right now called Teotwaki. Teotwaki. And it means the end of the world as we know it. Now, there are mainly four ways people are afraid the world is going to end. Number one, the sun is just going to burn us up, and it'll be over. Number two, famine. We'll run out of food. We'll all starve to death. Number three, plagues. A plague will, will hit everywhere and, and kill everyone. Or number four, war. Now think about each one of these threats in connection with the book of Revelation. The sun truly is expanding right now and getting hotter in Revelation 16 8 and 9, an angel pours out a fourth vial of the wrath of God, and the sun begins to burn people on the earth. So, left to its own devices, the sun eventually would boil up all the oceans and burn all of us up. That's going to take about five billion years. So, I think we're going to be okay on that. But the Bible tells us that the sun will not burn up the entire earth. Actually, it eventually will no longer be needed. Revelation 22.5 says that there will be no more night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will cause His light to shine on them, and He will reign forever and ever the original Hebrew, into the ages of ages. Now, another picture of how the world might end is through famine. Have you ever heard about melatology? It's the scientific study of bees. Melatologists are warning us that bees are dying like never before. The bee population is dropping really quickly. In fact, the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported a loss of 42% in bee colonies this year. Bee, I guess they, the plague hit them too. Bees are responsible for the pollination of flowers, fruits, and trees. Without honeybees, the food supply would diminish to the point that there would be a great famine. And while the end of the world will not be caused by famine, Revelation chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 tells us that through the symbol of a black horse during the Great Tribulation, there's going to be terrible inflation and famine. Are we in the Great Tribulation now? I mean, all I know is that uh, one day a loaf of bread is going to cost a day's wage. So thank God we're not there yet. But uh, I heard that the blue book for our cars now evaluates the car depending on whether or not the gas tank is full. Damn, glad you guys finally laughed. You're supposed to laugh about the inflation thing. So we're just coming out of this plague, and we all just realized as we sit here today in relief, how terrifying a pandemic can really be. Viruses can be created in labs. They can mutate in nature. I, I read this week about a possibility that an astronaut coming back to Earth or maybe even the spacecraft itself could bring a, a virus or a disease that will wipe out everybody on the planet. Here's what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 16 speaks of seven plagues poured out on the earth, emptying out the complete wrath of God. But just like when the Israelis were in Exodus, uh, in the book of Exodus, they were in Egypt, these plagues will only afflict those who follow the Antichrist. 
It won't harm those who believe in Jesus. So the last plagues come at the end of the world, but still, plagues are not how the world ends. There's a doomsday clock. Have you heard about it? It subjectively estimates how close the world is to ending because of a nuclear war. And they just set it at 100 seconds to midnight. So it's 11.58 and 20 seconds, according to the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. The Bible confirms that the end of the world as we know it will come after the great battle in which all of the armies of the earth are assembled under the leadership of the Antichrist, and he'll come against Jesus Christ in the valley of Megiddo at the battle of Armageddon. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, says it this way, I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. Now, these demonic spirits will be released by the devil, uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet, to deceive the kings of the world so that they will assemble and make war against who? Against the great almighty God, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, what kind of a chance does an army have against almighty God? Let, I hope the, book, the bookies are still booking at that time. I'll make a bet on that one. Who's going to win? Can you imagine, though, the armies of the world insanely follow the Antichrist to fight against the true, all-powerful God, Jesus Christ? Look what it says, Revelation 16, 16. This is the only time in the Bible where we find the word that almost everybody in the world has allowed to cross their lips one time or another, Armageddon. Then in chapter 19, Verse 11, it tells us the results of this battle. See, Jesus has told us everything that's going to happen in this book. The only thing we don't know is exactly what the timing is on all of this. And there's a great reason for that, because of our humanness. We are humans. We are so prone. If I knew exactly the day of the return of Jesus Christ, I might get lazy. Or I might run up my credit cards a couple of months before he returns. So there's no way he lets us know the exact timing because he wants us to be watching and waiting and yearning and longing for his coming. In Revelation 19.11, Jesus is pictured as the one seated on the white horse. In verse 20, it tells us how easily Jesus defeats the beast and the the false prophet. It says, in all simplicity, it simply says this, the beast and the false prophet were seized. And these two were thrown into the lake of fire, the one burning with sulfur. So the battle of Armageddon doesn't end the world. It ends the anti-God rebellion of the world system. Nebuchadnezzar talked about this world system. He saw it in his dream that we looked at in Daniel chapter 2. But in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, we see the devil bound. Oh, I love this verse. It says, I saw an angel descending out of the heavens, having the key to the abyss and a great chain upon his hand, and he seized the dragon, and he bound him a thousand years and cast him into the abyss and closed it and sealed it above him. Now, while the angel here is not named, we can surmise that from the book of Daniel, this is probably the archangel Michael. 
that gets the privilege of blessing, the blessing of binding the devil and throwing him into the abyss. I found this picture of Archangel Michael. I wish they'd quit superimposing other people's heads on my body. Anyway, Michael already defeated the devil, you guys, in the Scriptures. It was a head-to-head battle over the body of Moses. You can read about that in Jude, verse 9. And just like then, Jesus will once again empower Michael to bind the devil, cast him into the abyss. There'll be no struggle. Jesus commands it, and it happens. Because why? Because our Jesus has all authority and all power on heaven and earth. That's great news. Now let's look at how we got here. In Daniel eleven thirty-eight, Gabriel tells Daniel that the Antichrist will honor the God of fortresses. You see that there? Antichrist is going to honor the God of fortresses, which is not really a God at all. It just simply means Antichrist is going to be very committed and very dedicated to war. The end of Daniel 11 speaks of three different wars that the Antichrist will be involved with. First of all, it's the war of the, the king of the south and the king of the north. We don't know exactly who these nations are going to be. The king of the north, back in uh, earlier chapter, it was Syria back then. But more than likely, I, I'm just going to hypothesize here, I'm going to make an educated guess that um, I think it's going to be somehow a Russian-Iranian regime that comes together and, you know, they hate, at least Iran hates Israel, and uh, somehow, you know, Russia will, will join in with Iran, perhaps, and uh, they're going to come down and declare war against Israel. Now, Look at verse 39 of Daniel 11. This is where the Antichrist does his Hitler imitation. Or let's just put it this way. Hitler imitated the Antichrist because he's going to go out and fight the nations one by one, but he's going to make alliances after he conquers these nations. He's going to make them allies by giving them back their land as long as they submit to his authority. Look at verse 40, chapter 11, Daniel, verse 40. This is where we see the king of the south. It's probably Egypt. And the king of the south comes to attack the king of the north. Now, somehow, now, this king of the north is the Antichrist. So, I don't know if he overcame the the other army that came against him. And now, the Antichrist and his army, again, I'm hypothesizing, More than likely, it's the IDF, the Israel Defense Force, baddest little army on the planet. But friends, I just just want you to know, you know, Israel at this time will believe that the Antichrist is their Messiah. So that's why I think they're going to join him to go battle and they will plunder Egypt. Could I just tell you right now that I'm deep in the sandbox playing around? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm trying my best. It took me twice as long to put this sermon together this week as it usually does because uh, I just had to go back and check and double check and make sure that, that what I was saying can line up with the Word of the living God. I mean, it, it's just... You have to. There are absolutes in this Word, but right now we're in an arena where we're studying, where we're not exactly sure. All I can do is surmise. All I can do is make an educated guess. Can you, do you have Julie's picture up there? Yeah. Julie, I told Julie, Julie, I, I got to talk about me being in a sandbox, playing around. Would you just draw a little kid in a sandbox? Thank you, Julie, for giving me a head, uh, a hat to cover my bald head. And uh, isn't that wonderful? Little 16-year-old artist in our church. Thank you, Julie. 
so very much. Um, so I, I'm, I'm being very honest with you today. I don't really know, but what makes sense to me through extensive study of God's Word this week until my brain was about to explode, after the Antichrist plunders Egypt and Libya and Ethiopia, it's right there in verse, this is verse 43 now. Isn't that amazing? Who knew that those three nations would still be here 3,000 years later? Well, God knew. And he told Daniel, and Daniel knew. And after this plundering in the south, now Antichrist hears some troubling news from the northeast. Verse 44, the news from the east and the north will alarm him. Now, where's the northeast from Egypt? You go up northeast. To me, this corresponds perfectly with the sixth trumpet blast in Revelation 9, where in verse 16, Revelation 9:16, it says, an army of 200 million are on their way crossing the Euphrates. Now, Iran definitely will be a part of this, uh, perhaps Russia. But you know who's already in the East that today, right now, can sport an army of 200 million? Exactly. China. Man, I think even little big mouth North Korea might send a few soldiers along with them. And all of this culminates in the battle of battles where? This battle could be fought anywhere, but they all converge in Israel, in the valley of Megiddo. Amazing. Verse 45 of chapter 11 says that he will stop between the glorious holy mountain and the sea, will pitch his royal tents. While he's there, his time will suddenly run out with no one to help him, the Antichrist. This is where he meets his demise. The ultimate end of the Antichrist and the false prophet, the Antichrist, through demonic miracles and deceit, brings all of the nations of the world to Armageddon, and there, what happens? Jesus comes from heaven on a white horse with a sword in his mouth, and he completely and ultimately destroys these armies and wins the victory over the false prophet and the Antichrist. Now, both the false prophet and the Antichrist, these two men, what happens now? They're seized by Christ, and they're cast into the lake of burning fire, burning with sulfur. And they are thrown in that lake while they're both still alive. Remember, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by a rain of burning sulfur that came down out of heaven. There's proof there when you go to that region that it piled up from above. That, that it's still remnants of that there. Now, it's interesting because... God created sulfur as the combustible material for the lake of fire and hell because of its propensity to keep on burning. Okay, it, it, in small quantities, there's a, some healing properties people have found in sulfur, but in large quantities, it's deadly <laughs> in more ways than one. Smells terrible. Smells like rotten eggs. When it's burning, it sends out toxic chemicals, and it begins to burn your lungs if you get too close to it. It's burning at 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Sulfur, as it burns, turns into sulfur dioxide and then sulfuric acid, which is a powerful acid that begins to eat away at everything. Finally, sulfur burns with a dark blue light and burns slowly. Now, people doubt and scoff <laughs> when they read the Bible and they hear about a lake of fire like this. But did you know that there's one already in existence in Indonesia? Look it up. It's called the Kawa Ijen, K 
K-A-W-A-H-I-J-E-N, volcano. It's burning right now with lava, not of molten rock, but of sulfur. Here's a picture of it. In Indonesia, the sulfur magma in the volcano is literally a lake of fire. And being cast into this lake of fire, not this one, but the one that Jesus has prepared for these two men and having them thrown in there alive is a fitting judgment for these two who tormented the earth for seven years during the Great Tribulation period. Now, the burning acid, the horrible stench of the rotten eggs and the toxic fumes that destroy the lungs and blind your eyes with searing pain, it's, it's crazy to think about it, but it's, a, it's an absolute fitting judgment for the two men who wreaked havoc on our world and fought against Jesus Christ. The lake of fire, ladies and gentlemen, that we'll be uh, making our presentation of next week, it was prepared for the devil, the demons, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and sad to say, Judas Iscariot. And anyone else who gave in to the Antichrist spirit, anyone who was hell-bent on killing the people of God, the Jewish people. Hell wasn't designed for regular folks, but it will unfortunately be the tragic end for all that reject Jesus Christ, even if they are just regular folks. This eternal judgment of corruption and reproach and burning torment will be justified due to their rejection of Jesus and God the Father. Whew, that's heavy. In, in the announcements, Larry Wayne uh, talked about the devil's uh, demons as minions. Man, I just picked up a backpack with minions on it for my grandkid. I'm going to have to take that thing back. <laughs> so, Daniel 12.1, okay, let's look at that verse together. It starts with, at that time. At that time. What time? The Battle of Armageddon. At the end of the seven years of the Great Tribulation. That's when Michael, the archangel, stands up. There's an interesting statement here. And I alluded to it when I read the Scripture to you. <clears throat> Daniel is told something about his people, the Israelis, for whom he has so much deep concern. That's what all these visions were for. Daniel was so concerned about his people <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that they weren't serving God the way that he thought they should be. And he, he's asking God about his people. He's concerned about his brothers and sisters. And in this verse, he's told about... His people, the Jewish people, being saved. And Romans eleven twenty six says it so beautifully. The Jewish people, still alive during the Great Tribulation, will all be saved. Now, unfortunately, and the reason why we need to be diligent to witness as much as we can to Jewish people, Zechariah 13, 8 says that two-thirds of Israelis will be killed in the Great Tribulation. So, right now, the population of Israel is around 9 million. You know what that means? If it were to happen today, that's another Tribulation Holocaust. That's another 6 million Jewish people that will be put to death in the Great Tribulation. It's the absolute worst of times, but gratefully, it's also the best of times because while Satan is rampaging and the Antichrist is especially ferocious during this time, trying to destroy the people of God during the last three and a half years, 
there will actually be a tremendous revival as God basically shows Satan who's the boss. So right during Satan's reign of terror, right in the middle of it, God shows up, three million Jewish people are saved, and there are many, many other Gentiles that all the way until about the middle of the tribulation will give their hearts and lives to Jesus. And you can read about that in Revelation chapter 7. Now let me me just be very clear and very frank. A person is only saved if their name is written in the book of life. A person is only listed in the book of life if they believe in Jesus and have asked Jesus to come into their life and forgive them of their sins and, and they've repented of their sins. That's when you're saved. That's when he gives you the gift of his righteousness. Look at verse 2 and 3 in Daniel chapter 12 as it describes the blessing and the glory of the righteous. It describes the transformation of the righteous who are forgiven and pure and they're given access to enter into the kingdom of God. And did you notice what it says in verse 2? In verse 2 of Daniel 12, it says, for the only, the first and the only time in the Old Testament that we hear these two words put together, that two words, those two words are the, the phrase eternal life. Only one time in the Old Testament, right here. Eternal life. The initial revelation of eternal life is identified as a future gift to those who are righteous, those who take on the righteousness of Jesus, exchange our filthy rags for his righteousness. And the emphasis here is on eternity. Not only will the righteous live following the horrific deaths of the tribulation, but the righteous will live forever. Hey, when Jesus came to earth and died on the cross and rose again on the third day, that's when eternal life became our reality. It's available to anyone. It's available to everyone willing to humble themselves and and cry out to God for help. I, I talked with Ashley, my middle daughter, this week, and her and her two youngest children were driving home from a a kids camp that uh, uh, Sean and Ashley are over, all the youth camps and all the kids camps for the Assemblies of God in Oregon. And they stopped at a a gas station and there was a young lady, a teenage young lady, who was crying. And my four-year-old grandson walked right up to her and said, can I give you a hug? And little Canaan, this lady said, yes, thank you. And little Canaan hugs her, and then Ashley gets to pray for her. And, oh, man, how cool, how wonderful. I, we prayed this morning in our prayer, early prayer meeting that every one of us will be able soon to be right there when God gives the increase, when somebody we've been sharing Christ with comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Come on, let's pray about that right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, that every one of us, Lord, we plant seeds and we water seeds that have been planted, but we want to be there when you give the increase. Help each one of us to genuinely lead someone into a personal relationship with you. Hallelujah. Jesus taught that eternal life is not just some future, unimaginably long life. He taught us that eternal life is the quality of life that He gives to you the moment that you're saved. The Christian enjoys the fullness of the love of God, the complete righteousness of Jesus Christ. We get to see Him in all of His glory and participate in that glory. We have the mind of Christ that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. And the angel continues and promises Daniel in these holy scriptures today, verse 3, that the wise will shine as bright as the sky. In the original Hebrew, it says the shining of the firmament. What does it mean? 
not talking about the dark night sky. It's talking about the brilliantly lit noon sky with the full glory and shining of the sun pouring down on the earth. Friends, if you know Jesus, you're going to shine. You're going to shine brighter than the sun in all of its dazzling glory, and that's going to be who you are for the rest of eternity. Your glory, your purity, your shine will never diminish. It will never fade. It will never tarnish. It will never grow dull. The Bible goes on to say, the ones leading many to righteousness will shine as the stars forever and ever. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians, verses 42 through 44. And this is describing our resurrected bodies. It says that those of us who will be resurrected from the dead, our bodies were sown in corruption, they'll be raised incorruptible. It was sown in dishonor, it'll be raised in glory. It was sown in weakness, it'll be raised in power. It was sown a carnal body, it'll be raised a spiritual body. Here's what this means. Think of all the pain you feel in your body. The headaches, the toothaches, the torn muscles, the ligaments, the bad hips and knees and feet. goes on and on. The other day I was uh, in a restaurant with Pastor Biniam, and uh, I, we were just leaving, and I'm sliding off of what I thought was a whole bench that I was sitting on, but it was only half a bench. There was a gap in the middle, and I flew into that gap. Gravity took over. My ribs pounded the, the seat on the other side. I'm all black and blue through here. Oh, I've been so sore. I went to Dr. Ray, see if anything was broken. He said, now nah, you just bruised up. Man, that hurt. But in heaven, in our resurrected bodies, there's not going to be one day of pain. <laughs> not even a, a tiny little headache. No muscle aches. No ribs sore. Think about how our bodies decay and age. Limbs and fingers and eyes some people have lost in wars or through disease or accidents. All of those limbs, those fingers, those eyes will be fully restored. You'll have to remember my face because I'm going to have long flowing hair past my shoulders in heaven. Hallelujah. Heaven will not have any war but it will only be filled with the amazing, intense peace and joy of Jesus Christ. Our bodies here succumb to diseases, but in heaven there's no disease. There's no sickness. There's no infection. There's no pain. There's no death. We'll be filled inside and out, covered in the righteousness and in the glory of God. Hallelujah. Now today, we experience what? Depression, anxiety, anger. In heaven, it'll only be joy, peace, and love. Love is going to carry us through. We won't need faith anymore because we'll get to see Jesus every day. We won't need hope anymore because we will be experiencing everything we ever hoped for and more than we could ever imagine. Look at verse 4. It's a pretty well-known verse because it talks about people rushing here and there and great, the great increase of knowledge. Now, I, along with you, have used this verse many times in witnessing because it's a beautiful description of what has happened in our lifetimes, that people are running to and fro. I mean, you can get somewhere around the world tomorrow Right now, if you got on a plane, you could be all the way on the other side of the world. People are running to and fro. And, and look how much knowledge has increased. But contextually in the Scripture today, it's really talking about the context here is Armageddon. And that means the second coming of Jesus Christ. So during the Great Tribulation, you know what people are going to be doing? 
They're going to be scurrying here and there, frantic, trying to figure out what did Daniel mean? What did the book of Revelation really say? They're going to want to know what's about to happen. And the Bible says right here that their knowledge will definitely increase because they'll see the ancient scriptures being fulfilled everywhere they look. And there's only one part of what they're going to read that's going to bring them good news. And that's only for those who haven't taken the mark of the beast. And beautifully, wonderfully, that's the part in Revelation chapter 7 where it says millions of people at that time will turn and run to Jesus. I'm grateful for that, but you know what I say? Don't wait for that day. Don't miss the rapture. Don't take your chances. In verses 5 through 8, we again meet the angel that was described back in chapter 10. Remember him? Uh, now, in retrospect, I, I, I've really been thinking about this and praying about it, and I think that definitely Jesus was there in chapter 10, uh, that beautiful description that matches his description in Revelation chapter 1, but it, he wasn't that angel that was being talked about who had to fight for 21 days to get there. Um, but in this chapter right here, I believe this one wearing linen is none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I believe he showed up to Daniel at this time. And there's little doubt here because he's the one that spells out all that's going to happen during the 70th week, the, the seven years of the Great Tribulation. Now, it seems to me that we're reading here about three angels, okay, one being the angel of the Lord, Jesus. And the middle hovering angel over the river is Jesus, and then there's two other angels on either side, and one of those two was that angel that was detained for 21 days. Now look with me to verse number 10. Jesus says the great tribulation will be a time of purification, cleansing, and being refined. Many people will be saved during this time. People who missed the rapture, but are determined to make heaven their home. And all the Jewish people still alive, although unfortunately, Zechariah 13 says many, two-thirds of them that are still alive at that time will be murdered. I want to correct something I said earlier in this series <laughs> because it's hard to keep it all straight, but in Daniel 12, 11, it proved my earlier calculations inaccurate. See, I thought the Antichrist would set up his abominable statue in the third temple in the middle of the tribulation period, the three-and-a-half-year point. But verse 11 says that the mid-tribulation point is when he stops the daily offerings halfway through the tribulation. Halfway through is not when he sets up his statue in the temple, okay? Because look what it says right here. It says that there will be 1,290 days from the time that he stops them from in the temple. They're, they're redoing burnt sacrifices. They're back to their Jewish ways. And the Antichrist stops that at the three-and-a-half-year Mark. Now, if you're using a 360-day calendar, that's 1,260 days, three and a half years. And now this verse tells us that 1,290 days later, so three years and seven months later, that the Antichrist, during that extra month, is when he's going to set up his statue that the false prophet will make it come to life and it'll look so lifelike and talk to people. And So, here's what I believe, okay? 
I'm hypothesizing again. I'm not sure, but I think that Matthew 25, 31 through 33 are going to be fulfilled during this 30-day period. Because Jesus has already returned. Battle of Armageddon has already happened. He's wiped out all those armies. The blood is still flowing in Megiddo when the following, perhaps, takes place. Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of the angels with Him, okay? When the Son of Man returns to earth, in all of his glory, and the angels come with him, then what's going to happen? He's going to sit on his glorious throne, and all of the nations will be gathered in his presence. And what's he going to do for those 30 days? He's going to be separating the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay? So if you're there, make sure you're on his right side. That's where the sheep go. You don't want to be the goat then, on his left side. Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. The devil is bound and cast into the bottomless abyss, and he'll be locked away for a thousand years. At that moment, ladies and gentlemen, we will all stand and sing that great hymn of the church. Sing it with me. Na 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 na. Na 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 na. Hey, goodbye. Christ will reign in the most wonderful, perfect environment for the entire thousand years, and we will be here reigning with Him. During the millennium, the Bible tells us that both the glory of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus will cover the earth as the waters cover over the sea. That's in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. Oh, sorry. That's the great hymn of the church we'll be singing. It shall flow like a mighty river. It shall fall like the rain. It shall rise like the dawning of the glory or the land. And the knowledge of the Lord shall fill all the earth. And the Spirit of the Lord shall fall. That's what we're going to be singing. This promise is that the glory and the knowledge of Jesus is going to extend from North Pole to South Pole, from East to West. Oh, it's going to be glorious. There won't be a spiritual desert anywhere where God's knowledge and God's glory are not found on this planet. But then the verse also tells us of the depth and the knowledge of the glory of Jesus. How deep is the ocean? The Mariana Trench is seven miles deep. The knowledge of Jesus Christ will be so intense, so deep, and so accurate that we will know Jesus even as much as Jesus knows us. <laughs> Hallelujah. The glory of Jesus is going to shine from us brighter than the sun. But His glory is more than brightness. Our purity, our righteousness, our holiness will be so intense and so unblemishable. There will be no gaps in our holiness. Our garments of praise will be seamless. Listen to what's said in verse 11 and verse 12 as we finally wrap up this series. It says, and it's given us some numbers to deal with, so what do you get when you subtract 1,290 from 1,335? Right, 45 days. Okay, 1,335 minus 1,290, 45 days. <laughs> Here's what I think. This is, again, my hypothesis, that it's highly possible that the true millennial reign of our master, the king of the world, the king of the universe, will actually begin with 45 days of glorious blessing, celebration, and worldwide rejoicing. 
How many of you know Jesus loves to celebrate? Ain't no party like a Christian party. Because a Christian party, this Christian party, will never stop. Once it starts, I truly believe this. Now, Revelation 21.1 says, and this is right after the millennium, right after the thousand years of peace, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. Hey, I love Mama Earth. I look forward during the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand years, to being able to explore all the places around the world that I have not yet been able to get to. I believe we're going to be given a thousand years to work and explore. And during that time, because of Jesus, our earth will no longer be groaning under the travail of corruption, sin, and decay, and God's new and improved heaven and earth. Can you just imagine? I like the old ones, but the new ones are like our Master and Savior, Jesus, beyond description, beyond comprehension. All I know is that they will be places that are holy and pure and majestic and glorious. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth worthy of Jesus, the glorious, triumphant, crucified, and risen Son of God. It's going to be worthy of Him, the new heaven and the new earth. It's going to be a place that fits like a glove for people like us that now have our new and greatly improved, perfect, glorious resurrection bodies. Come on, somebody. Can you just give God praise right now? Oh, hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Amen. Come on, stand up, everybody. Let's just rejoice. Do you know who you are in Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. What glory awaits you. What power, what brightness, what dominion, what authority. All because you made the decision to ask Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life. Will you pray with me right now? In fact, let me just see real quick. Is there anybody here that would say, man, Pastor, that's me. Count me in. I'm, gonna, I'm giving my life to Jesus right here, right now, today. Anybody? Amen. Praise the Lord. Looking around. Okay. God bless. Okay. Beautiful. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Father, come on, let's all pray this together. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we come before you asking forgiveness. We repent. Turn from our old ways, our wicked ways, and now we choose to follow you. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Thank you that I get to live with you forever. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.